Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. And the Striker is a, a frameless two-person raft. What's cool about it, That's it's a two-person boat, a legit two-person boat that weighs 100 pounds. And the reason we came up with that is we had this weird thing a number of years ago. The South Fork of the Boise River here is a great fishery. They had this weird thing where there's a fire that went in there and stayed in there for weeks and just burned everything to the ground. And it knocked out a ton of the, the trailer put-ins. That was Chris Callahan on the story of the striker, the fish cat, float tubes, fly fishing, and the benefit of frameless boats today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. Instagram, if you get a chance right now, if you're on social media and on Instagram and haven't connected at wetflyswing right now, and you can ask a question for our next guest. We're doing this, uh, we're kicking this off and we've been kicking it off for a while now. So if you get a chance, uh, follow us there, support the podcast, and you can ask a question for our next guest. Today's episode is sponsored by Togan's Fly Shop who provides superior quality products at an affordable price. An amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fishing accessories. Since 2005, Togans has been over-delivering on price, service, and passion. And now, you can check out that Togans buzz for yourself. Right now, you can head over to wetflyswing.com Togans to get started. That's T-O-G-E-N-S. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to Togans online. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. Established in 1928, Deddy Flies is the oldest family-run fly shop in the world, now in their 94th year. Deddy's mission has always been to supply the fly fishing community with the finest products and services. Every fly they sell is either tied in-house or by a handful of select domestic tires. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash Deddy to grab your in-house flies today. That's wetflyswing.com slash Deddy. D-E-T-T-E to support this podcast and the oldest fly shop in the world. Chris Callahan is here to take us into Outcast Boats and some of the tips he has on finding a new boat and the right boat. We discover how they tweak their float tubes to change the game and uh, and get you out of the water a little bit more. Why they use internal bladders on all of their boats and some insight into uh, fishing and the boating industry and that connection uh, in that part of Idaho. Let's jump in and go. Chris Callahan from OutcastBoats.com. How's it going, Chris? Going really well. I appreciate you uh, including me today. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking a little time to dig into some on boats and Outcast. Um, you guys are obviously a leader out there on what you do. You've I've used a lot of your products over the years, and I know a lot of people you know that listen have as well. So we're going to talk about that, and we just did a um, the the Stillwater event with you guys and Phil Roy and everybody, mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun. We Okay, well, let, let's start there. What was the boat we gave away on that on that uh, event? Boy, I to be honest with you, I, I think we did a fish cat four float tube. Yeah, I think that's right. And and that's kind of our number one selling float tube. It's been kind of the number one thing for probably since day one from Outcast. You know, it's just good, good design and you know good materials, so we sell a ton of them. That's interesting. I love the float tubes. I mean, some people probably maybe don't use float tubes, but I've used them a lot over the years. And I know, I mean, think of the, the difference. Like you go back to square one with the round inner tube, right? Like I don't even know what those were called back in the day, but now they're totally different, right? I mean, how would you compare a float tube today versus say the 90s or 80s? 
boy, you know, I remember those first flow tubes too. It was like, you know, you'd, you'd sit in them and they were cold and your legs were down. It was, you know, kind of like being in a, in a high chair. But today, you know, they're more V-shaped and depending on whose brand, ours has a seat that's up above between the tubes so it doesn't roll into you. And then, you know, the above the water seating was really kind of a game changer, you know, like to to be higher up out of the water and they were warmer and people could see a little better and you know frankly they're easier to get in and out of i mean i i remember as a youngster you know trying to get in and out of those round tubes with fins was a lot of gymnastics as a mature man today i don't know if i could do it i know so that's the thing today so today you just walk up and you just kind of hop in and you're elevate almost like a king kind of sitting on the water yeah. right in your chair yeah yeah cool are the boats uh, you know, like as far as the float too, let's just stick with that because you guys have a whole bunch of, you know, you have full size boats, you got pontoons, everything. But on the float tubes, is there a bunch of different sizes for different size people? Like if you were a giant person versus a small person, would there be a specific boat for you? There is. So we have two models for for the bigger guys. We have um, a Prowler, which is kind of a high end. And then we've got the Fishcat 5 Max. Uh, so and we have two brands. We have Fishcat and then Outcast. And Fishcat is always kind of the the medium quality, and then Outcast is the higher end. And the 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 Fishcat Five Max is based on the the Fishcat Four chassis, so to speak, but it's wider because we found like a lot of the bigger guys. It's not like they're going to sink the boat, but they need more room in the hips. So we basically took that A and made it wider, right? So they can sit in. And that's really on the Fishcat side. On the, the Outcast side, we have the Prowler. And that's for really big guys. I mean, guys that are 350 plus can fit in there. It's, it's a larger boat. But what distinguishes it from the other flow tubes where you just have the seat, um, just like a primary seat block you're sitting on, it has a whole inflatable floor. It's the same floor we use on our rafts. And we never thought an average sized person would, would want to use it. But what we found is because that whole floor is inflatable, guys can move faster through the water on it. So yeah, so we do have two models for bigger guys. Gotcha. This is awesome. Well, we're going to dig into some on, you know, the features of the boats and the lineup that you guys have, because yeah, it's been a while since I've been out in, you know, in one of those, but boats are something that I'm always thinking about and for the next trip and and so we'll dig into that. Let's take it back real quick to fly fishing, because I know you do a little bit of fly fishing, and we connected through, like, Phil Roy, I think, on this last event, and you do some stuff with him. Talk about that. What was your first, you know, memory of fly fishing? My family is from Buffalo, New York, of all things, and my father was a physician, and he loved to fish and hunt. So after his uh, medical training, he came to Idaho because he liked to fish and hunt. You know, Idaho, particularly back then, that was in the early 70s, certainly not as well known as it is today or, or popular. So basically, because my dad loved to fish and hunt, um, that's what we did every weekend. And Idaho is just, you know, I was spoiled growing up. We grew up in a, a town called Boise. Boise has a lot of good stuff within two hours. You know, the, the Ketchum Sun Valley area with Silver Creek and the Wood River is two and a half hours away. Henry's Fork is five hours away. We have stuff in, in Eastern Oregon. And then because I liked fishing and skiing so much, I chose to go to college in Montana more for, you know, outdoor activities than academic. 
And I went to a small college called Carroll College in Helena, Montana. I mean, the Missouri was right there. I wasn't smart enough that I could go fishing every weekend, but I certainly went when I could. And then I was lucky enough to get a job in the summers in Livingston, Montana, working in a fly shop as a fishing guide for the Yellowstone Angler. So owned by George Anderson, um, and I was his second employee. And um, so I was really lucky, and this is, I'm going to date myself, but from 80 to 84 is when I worked in the shop. Again, it wasn't as busy as it is now. I didn't know anybody in town, so all I did was fish every day. Where was the Yellowstone Angler? What, what town is that in? It's in Livingston. Oh, it's in Livingston, right, right. So that's the yeah. thing about Yellowstone, because we've been doing some stuff down in Idaho you know, talking about that, the shops down there, especially right around the Henry's Fork. But that's the thing about the Yellowstone is it's so big that you've it's surrounded by like three states, right, that are kind of all around Yellowstone. Right. And, you know, it was easy access to the Yellowstone River in Livingston. The Spring Creek's uh, Yellowstone Park is 50 miles away, which in Montana is a 40-minute drive. Um, you know, the Madison was just over the hill. Um, no, it was it was a wonderful experience. That's amazing. And where are you located now? I'm in Boise, Idaho now. So oh, I moved yeah, Boise. Seattle for 20 years, worked in publishing, and then I came back to work for Air is the name of the company, and Outcast is the, the fishing side of the company. That's right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Air. I was going to touch on that, that. Yeah, I mean, Air, that's the cool thing about it, right? If you're fly fishing or in the fishing, you hear about Outcast a lot, but Air is this really cool company where, you know, Whitewater and all the boats and everything you have going, another one of the leaders right in that space. Right. And it's easy when we, we talk about the company is really it's, it's a whitewater company. I mean, that's the big part of our business. So the fishing products have all been really tested hard. And, you know, we have most of the guys that work on the, the whitewater side, they go out on Thursday evenings after work, you know, to do some whitewater stuff. And whenever we have new models to test, not a flow tube, of course, but new moving water models, you know, we have them test the boats on class three stuff. So a good way to go. That's right. So some of your boats, I mean, I guess the float tube's a different thing. You don't be going down to rapid with the float tube necessarily, but all your other stuff, whether it's a nine foot pontoon boat or whatever, they're pretty good. They're stable in whitewater. They are. I mean, and, and they're, they're literally all tested in class three. Some guys will, you know, do the class four stuff in them, but no fisherman's ever going to be in, in that, that position. So the materials um, can withstand up to a lot of good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And I'm thinking back in my days, you know, and I've done a lot of boating and been in some tricky places, you know, but, uh, I remember one time I was in, and I don't think it was an outcast, but it was like a nine foot pontoon boat. And I'm sure the design wasn't quite right, but it just seemed like that nine foot pontoon boat versus maybe a 10 or a bigger one, or maybe it wasn't even an eight or a seven, but it was just small enough that when you hit a wave and it was a big enough wave, it really felt like it was going to tip you. What do you know? Like, have you ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where is there a certain size length, or is it just more the design? Like, do you guys have pontoon boats? What's your smallest pontoon boat? And then talk about that as far as the whitewater tippiness. So, the smallest boat we do today is an eight foot boat, which is kind of a good all round boat, particularly for fishing. Um, you know, we've done smaller ones for lakes like seven footers, but what we found is a float tube just works better, right? It's heavy. It's seven feet. It's too short. We found anything less than eight. And really when the boat is measured, it's when the material before it's welded. Oh, 
stuff. So really, an eight-foot boat is probably seven foot, seven and a half feet long. Um, so we've just, it's still maneuverable. There's just no reason to go any, go any smaller. You're not saving um, any weight, really. Um, it's just nice to have a little bit bigger footprint on the water. And, and nine foot is kind of like the, you know, the nine foot five weight of float tubes, or I mean, of, of pontoon boats. It's just kind of right in the middle for everything. Gotcha. That's awesome. So in these boats, um, what does that look like when you're in whitewater and these things? Is that eight foot? Is there any, I mean, is it f- super stable? I mean, of course you get into a class four or five, it's totally different, but like yeah. rapids, is there any tippiness there or anything like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know what the boat was I had, but it was definitely tippy. Yeah. I mean, and part of that is, you know, is really the person on the oars. I mean, what our whitewater guys do is amazing. And they know, hey, if you're coming through a wave train, you got to stroke hard forward. Anytime you get sideways, the width of the eight and the nine and the 10 are all the same. It's the tubes. So it's just, it's your ability on the oars. And, you know, like an eight footer, I mean, if you were in big waves, you know, like a wave train, and this is, you could bury the tips of the tube pretty well. Um, you know, and then flip yourself, but we put a pretty good rocker on them. I mean, most of the people that we talk to that might have an issue are just, it's lack of experience, you know, hit a rock sideways. They're really maneuverable. I mean, it's, um, and that's always, people tend to oversteer initially because they're so maneuverable. They're used to a John boat or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. They spin on a dime. Yeah. That's the thing about them. They're really great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Is air outcast or is that also in Boise? Yeah, so uh, the the company uh, we have three divisions. So Air is we're in Meridian, which is a suburb of Boise, but um, and so we have three divisions. We have Air, which is the whitewater division. We have Outcast, which is the fishing division, and then we have Air Environmental, which is spill containment. And so I don't have anything to do with that division, and it has to do with. I mean, we do all sorts of stuff. Um, 5,000 gallon potable water bladders. We do a lot of diversion stuff, berms. So it's a lot of stuff, you know, trying to take care of the environment, that sort of stuff, spills and things. Um, And what we do, the reason we do that is nothing we do is glued. Everything is heat welded. So it's very environmentally safe. And the government, and it's, you know, typical, the government Somebody was on a raft trip, saw that we did the the raft and these heat welded seams. And they, hey, they called us, can you make a, a whatever? And basically they're big squares of welded stuff with a little bit of a berm, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, we can do that. And because we're US made, you know, most of the things, um, a lot of the fishing stuff isn't US made anymore. Oh, yeah. Make it there. So yeah, long, long amble, but yeah, three divisions. That's great. No, that's awesome to hear. I forgot about that. Yeah, you had the environmental, so. Just roughly, I'm just curious on fly fishing. We always talk about how small a niche, you know, fly fishing is. But I mean, I guess you're kind of fishing overall. Do you find out of your boats, kind of the outcast stuff, is there like what percentage is fly fishing versus just kind of general fishing? You know, I don't know um, because we just, we're not large enough to, to run that kind of data. I would say in guessing probably 90% fly fishing it's just we've tried hard to get and it and makes a lot of sense you know for these for bass fishing and pan fishing and stuff in these small lakes and ponds you know which is more prevalent in the midwest um we haven't done a great job of breaking in into that market you know part of that is we're a western company 
all our marketing is kind of geared that way. So we've, we probably haven't done a really good job of doing it that way. Um, we don't have the resources and it's not just money, but just people, right? Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, let's go through just kind of the lineup a little bit. Talk about you described kind of the company, but let's dig into Outcast and mm -hmm. how, how would you describe that? Like, who is who are the boats? It sounds like we know who they're for for the most part. Fly anglers that are yep. on lakes and rivers and stuff. But talk about the different lineups because you have pontoons, you have boats. How do you describe that when you run into like, let's say you go into into a fly shop. I'm not sure if you do that, but you're going into a new fly shop that you're interested in having on as a dealer. You know, what's your kind of first discussion there? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the first discussion is, you know, we're a fishing company with a, a whitewater DNA. And, you know, we've been, Outcast has been in business since 1995. Everything that we do has a bladder inside. So it's, it's very safe, right? And it's easy to repair. And why is the bladder safe, Chris, just for a second on that? Like, so the, yeah. the reason for that is we'll say that... Um, most of the issues we see are not rocks, but say barbed wire or something like that. It's going to pierce maybe that outer skin, but you still have a bladder on the inside. You also, it's easy to repair, right? With a bladder on the inside, and, and this happens frequently, guys can slap some duct tape on the bladder. Um, they can put some duct tape on the outer material, at least get through the day. Uh, and then we can, you know, either repair it or send somebody a new bladder. So it's just kind of double the thickness, I guess, is the best way to describe it yeah it makes sense and, that, and that's not the way rafts are i mean typically right well if you look at the air rafts they don't have inflatable bladders no all everything that we do has a bladder so all the rafts have a bladder oh they well. do yeah oh wow the the genesis of that was one of you know we have three primary owners one of the owners worked at a, at a different raft company and we use a pvc on the outer material of all our products and so that's kind of the the rubbery plasticky looking stuff and PVC is airtight, but it's not abrasion resistant. So over time, by dragging a boat or whatever, if you didn't have either a bladder on the inside or a coating on the outside, you would get these slow seeping leaks. So some companies will coat it in a urethane. The, one of the owners of ours is like, well, why don't we create a bladder? And so on our lower end boats, we have vinyl bladders. and our higher end boats, we have urethane bladders. So that's the, the history of the air. And then, you know, we have, a, a, so we have boats for still water, which would be float tubes. Any of our framed pontoon boats can be used on moving water or still water. A lot of, we don't do a lot of framed boats anymore, sell a lot because we have this great frameless line of boats, which basically um, boats without frames. So they weigh about half. And then you move into the multi-person boats uh, like uh, we have a couple two-man rafts, a two-man pontoon boat, and then, you know, rafts that really come from, I mean, they're different labels on them from our, from the, you know, with frames and stuff like that. So we really have um, stuff to, particularly if you're a Western fisherman, you know, that, you know, right now all our rivers are all blown out. So we have great stillwater fishing until it really gets warm. By that time, the rivers are, are lower, you know, and then we can move either to to a single person boat or, or a raft or multi-person boat. So we really kind of cover just about everything. We don't, our boats can be used in salt water, but they're never made for that. So it takes a lot of care. So, um, you know, we're really geared at moving water and, and freshwater lakes and reservoirs. There you go. What would be the boat 
for on steel water. I guess float tubes, of course, the right size. Those are, you know, the pontoons are great. What about like when you get into the trolling motor? I remember back in the day, I had a friend that had like, I think he might've had a pontoon boat that he retrofitted with the trolling motor on the back. And it was, or it wasn't even a pontoon boat. It might've been a float tube. You know what I mean? Like you do all sorts of stuff, but do you guys recommend like the trolling motor thing at all? We do. So all our, all our single person boats will have a, a motor mount, like on the, the framed boats. I'm still with the frame, have a really good anchor system with motor mount. And we sell a lot of those guys to still water guys who do a lot of trolling motor, right? Because more room for battery, they can put a, a bigger trolling motor. Like we always recommend an electric motor with 30, 35 pounds of thrust. Um, because of the frame, you know, you can strap on depth finders and fish finders and all that kind of stuff. So they work out. And even our frameless boats, we have uh, trolling motor uh, mounts that you can adapt to those boats as well. So um, we have a lot of people that like to use a, a, tr a trolling motor and, and we can accommodate that. Bear Vault is one way to assure your next backcountry trip stays memorable, epic, and safe. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. This in turn keeps your food safe, keeps the bears safe, and keeps you safe. I've got a classic story that I told. I've told a few times about the bear taking my backpack while up in Alaska. I had my lunch and some snacks in there and just went up around the corner to fish for a bit. When I got back, it was uh, totally gone. If I would have had that bear vault right at that moment, I would have been okay because my food would have been completely sealed. The bear would have had no idea and no reason to take my backpack. So a good reminder there. You might not realize it, but this type of thing happens all the time, even to experienced outdoorsmen. The great news for us is now we can experience the great stuff of a remote trip without ever having to worry about animals fiddling with our stuff. Sleep soundly knowing your vault has sealed the deal for you. Believe it or not, food storage is a key consideration while backcountry hiking, fishing, or camping. The Bear Vault also has some great bonus features like the see-through sidewalls so you can find your stuff really easy and a large opening plus it doubles as a nice camp stool. This thing is legit. It definitely is one of my, this might be my favorite feature is, is the camp stool. You know, I love a good, a good chair out there. Check in with the crew at Bear Vault at wetflyswing.com slash bear vault. That's Bear Vault, B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. Okay, back to the show. Talk about the frameless boats a little bit, because when I think of frameless boats, I know this isn't what you do, but I think of the old, uh, you know, whatever the old boat was, the kid's boat with the rubber things, and you'd stick the oars in there, and it was not, oh, yeah, not yeah. great. Well, you know what I'm talking about. What were those? Yep. The, it was not great. It worked, but oh, it was raft. Like, I remember using those, like, we'd go backpacking and we carry those stupid things yeah the sevelor the sevelor right it was Seven, the... yes yes um so what we found um that uh you know just our stuff lasts a long time right so it was like you know how, how can we get people who like outcast or something to to buy a new boat and we found that if we make it lighter people will ditch their old one you know and so just with so kind of our first frameless model was uh, the style. It's open. It's like a big float tube. It's U-shaped. And we have the, the Scout, which is the Fishcat version, and then the Stealth Pro, which is the Outcast version. So big U-shaped. Um, we have this. And then we perfected this rowing system that was used a lot on dinghies. Um, and we worked really hard on it. 
Um, we heat welded on there. There's a pin that that we we worked really hard and modified that pin so it, that it stays anchored in there. That really changed everything for us as far as type of boats we sell. I mean, we probably sell five frameless boats to every one framed boat. And it's just, it's easier for guys to maneuver, right? All our frameless boats weigh in around 35 pounds and that's with the oars. Where the frame boat, depending on the model, will just say about 70. Um, frameless boats are faster to set up. We call it blow go. You just inflate it and you're, you're ready to go. You don't have to set up a frame. They fit in people's pickup beds. They, you can pull them up and, and fit them in there. What would be the comparable, you know, the before the frameless boats, what would be the one you guys were using before with the frame? You know, we, we sold a lot of Fishcat 9s because it's kind of right in the middle. We also have this cool boat, which is really all-round boat called, we the one that we built in Meridian um, was called the uh, Pack 9000, which Phil loves that boat. And we also do an imported version called the Panther. And basically, instead of one tube on the side that's 16 inches in diameter, we have two tubes on the side that are 10 inches in diameter. Oh, right. And what does that do? Because that looks cool, you know, with the two tubes. It's a great yeah. boat. It's a, probably the best all-round boat we have. So it's got a wider stance. So it's kind of like, think of it as four-wheel drive in a way. It's a little bit wider. Because it just has 10 inches uh, of diameter in the pontoon, if it's windy, you don't get blown around as much, particularly on still water. And it tracks really well because of that space between the tubes kind of acts as a keel. So guys that do a lot of still water, particularly with motors, really like that boat because it, it, it tracks. It's like a mini, mini John boat. With the frame and the extra bladders and all that, it's just, it's a heavy boat. Nothing wrong with it. It's, um, we sell a lot of those and it's, it's a really, um, particularly if you want to use trolling motors and, and add a lot of stuff to your boat, it's really probably the, the best. That's good. Well, this is cool. No, this is, I'm glad we're digging into this. Um, I, I want to go back just, you mentioned 1995. I always love digging into the history a little bit. Do you know the kind of outcast history there when it got started? I do. I wasn't part of the company then. I've been there in 2004. Um, Air was built here in, in Boise, and, and there was a gentleman who came up with, you know, the single person for, uh, pontoon boat. That's the standard. And he came to Air, and uh, he asked Air to build the pontoons. And so Air built all the pontoons, and he created a company called called Outcast. And after a few years, as Air grew and was doing really well, they purchased Outcast from this guy because it fit right in with everything. And and our owners have always been good about, hey, we 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 do really well on the whitewater side, but we can't put all our eggs in one basket, so we two baskets you know, with fishing and whitewater. And then we have a third basket with environmental. So um, it was a real natural thing. The air had been making those, the pontoons for a long time. The frames were all built here locally and they were, were put together. So that was kind of how all that came. That's it. Okay. So that's outcast. And, uh, you know, we talked about the float tubes a little bit, pontoons, the frameless, and then I guess the rafts is the other thing. And you mentioned that those are pretty much like that's an air raft, just kind of set up for fly fishing sort of thing. Correct. So like, for instance, like our top selling um, fishing raft frame on Outcast side is called a Pack 1400. On the air side, it's a super duper Puma. The only difference is the logo. And so the guy who started Outcast, he was then buying rafts from air and fishing them up, basically. So they had to change the logo, right? Gotcha. And 
They've always been separate. It works well for us too from a uh, dealer, specialty dealer standpoint, because we may, using Boise as an example, we have an air dealer, a couple of air dealers. We also have a couple of outcast dealers. So it allows the whitewater guys to just stick with whitewater stuff and the fishing guys just to stick with the fishing stuff. The pack 1400 with the fishing frame sold by the Idaho angler is the same boat as the super duper Puma with the fishing frame, but it's two different customers. And we, we've always thought a lot of times that it's a similar customer. It's just not, it's two different yeah, customers. It's two different customers. The fishing frame is pretty cool too, because that's like uh, with those, I mean, it seems like everything else is outcast, but this is NRS frame, right? That you guys have with this. That's correct. And we have a, a crazy relationship with NRS. They are both our biggest competitor and biggest customer. Not only do we buy from them, they sell all our stuff. One of our owners was one of the general managers of NRS and, you know, a million years ago, but that's just typical of this industry, right? I mean, we're um, good competitors, but friends, and frankly, they do a really good frame. I mean, we're just not frame people. Um, and their frame is so modular that it, it works really well. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I had that frame for a while on a, a boat I had. And uh, yeah, the cool thing I remember, I mean, not only was the frame customizable, super awesome, but just the service of NRS was great. Like I had them tweak something and they just, you know what I mean? Cut something and reweld or whatever they did. And it was like, didn't charge me anything, you know? So it seems like a really cool, great company too. It is a great company. And that's why we work together. Both companies have a similar attitude of essentially customer first within reason, right? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. You get the customers that are asking for a little too much. It's uh, yeah, on the top. Yeah. Okay. Well, what else, you know, when you look at, uh, I mean, everything you have going, I guess I was kind of going to take it into a little bit on, you know, if we were doing a steelhead trip, like down a river, it seems like we've talked about a few of those boats you might have, but what would that be if you were, let's just say you were doing kind of a, you know, a day trip, a full day trip with a bunch of gear and maybe you had a little bit of white water. What's the boat you'd recommend for that? There are two boats. One is the, one of the newest ones we have called the Clearwater. So it's a, a round boat and it's, uh, you know, about eight and a half feet long, nine feet long when it's all put together. And there's a lot of room in that boat. And what's interesting with our frameless boats, people wanted a couple different things. They wanted open oar locks, right? Because the other oar locks on our other frameless boats have that pin with a, a knob so that they're in a stationary position. Um, people wanted to sit up higher. So we have a thwart that they can sit on and they wanted more room. So because that boat's a little bit bigger and the front is enclosed in front of your feet on the foot bar, there's a little place that that's perfect for like, you know, a, a day cooler type stuff. And behind you, um, there's a ton of room where if you want to do an overnighter, it's an easy boat to do an overnighter with. Um, it has for still water. I like our, our boats with an open front, because you want to fish out of the front and they put your rod in, in the water, the type stuff. But the clear water, uh, most of the steelhead guys, they're not fishing from the boat, right? They're going from run. So in moving water, I don't like to fish from the boat anyways. It's just a mess for me personally. Um, so the clear water is big enough to have some really big water, you know, I mean, because it's open oar locks. I mean, you could do class three plus if you know what you're doing. We also have the clear water which is a more kayak style, a little bit lower profile, doesn't quite have the space. It doesn't have the open oarlocks. It has the same oarlocks as our other frameless boats. So 
those are both really good boats and we kind of designed them with the steelheader in mind yeah, that's i can see that their water is called the clear water when we were pictured the customer using it we, we pictured the steelhead guy yeah the steelhead exactly and, and i'm looking at the is it the osg clear water yes yeah osg clear water so that's the one and yeah it's got the open uh, floor what would be the use there why is the open floor so the open floor a couple things one you could if you're in water that's shallow enough you can just step down and fish there with the boat but also still use fins and kick it like oh, you can yeah. on fill water if you wanted um you could use fins in moving water too a lot of guys will do that and then frankly it's just easier particularly with those open orlocks, it's easier to get in and out of when you can stand down, right? If you have a floor, then it's going to be tough for guys and waiters to get in and out, right? It's going to be quite a flop, whereas they can stand down, kind of move forward and swing their legs over, um, you know, because people get stiff in cold water. So that's the reason for the, you know, number one, you know, to use your fins if you wanted to, both in moving water, still water, and then to just easy in and out. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's cool because you guys, I mean, this seems like I could see this one being used on still waters as well, right? Yep. Would this be a good all-around boat? It kind of seems like this does everything. It does do everything. I mean, it's always one of those, people ask me all the time, if you, yeah, what, if you had one boat. boat and it's like, well, I technically don't own any of them. Right. Borrow them all, you know? But for me, I think being a Western angler that likes to do a little bit of steelhead fishing, likes to do moving water, and likes to do still water, for me, the clear water answers it all. Because I like to do overnighters. I mean, you can always do, you know, an overnighter in any of our boats that are smaller. But you got to, I like to take a beer or two with me. Exactly. Like, That's right. There's just a little bit more room and, and easier because uh, you don't want to spend all your time camping and organizing. No. And that bigger... The clear water, because it's bigger, just makes all that yeah. easy. Yeah, I think of it kind of like when you're doing that, maybe you do it, think of it as like a backpack. You know, what could you get in your backpack for an overnight multi-day trip, right? That's a great way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, and you throw your backpack, you know, whatever it is, 50 pounds or whatever it is, throw it in, there you go, and then maybe add a cooler. Now you got your cooler with some beers. To That's your yep. that's your bonus stuff. So that's cool. Right on. And so, yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely see that boat. I see the use there. And, um, and what was the other one you mentioned? So there was two clear water. There was another clear water. So there's clear water. And then also for steelhead guys, it, it came out first was the commander, which is a more of a kayak style boat. And we had kind of had that design. It was originally called an odyssey many, many years ago. Um, we kind of had that design and it was used with a kayak paddle. So imagine it came from our whitewater side. We took the floor out. Um, it's always hard to fish with kayak paddle. It's always in the way and drops in the water. So. Right, right, right. How does that do with the floor? It seems like without a floor, that wouldn't be as good in white water or floating. Does that slow you down a little bit or having issues? Uh, it might, might slow you down a little bit, a little bit of splash, you know, not much. Most of the waves and stuff hit the outer side of the, the boat. And that's where you're going to get your splash. Gotcha. Cool. Wow. This is really cool. Uh, what else should we be thinking about here as we look on the lineup? What haven't we talked about that you guys have going here? Boy, I think kind of one of a staff favorite boat is is it's called the Striker, and the Striker is a, a frameless two person raft. What's cool about it? That's it's a two person boat, a legit two person boat that weighs a hundred pounds. And the reason we came up with that is we had this weird thing a number of years ago. The South Fork of the Boise River here is a great fishery, and it can be some big water, particularly in the canyon. But for the, most of the fishing stuff, you know two plus. 
they had this weird thing where there's a fire that went in there and stayed in there for weeks and just burned everything to the ground. And then we had this weird weather thing where we had a rainstorm come in and because everything was burned, um, we had all these mudslides and it knocked out a ton of the trailer put-ins and you just couldn't access and it dammed up the river and stuff. So we needed a boat that you could put in anywhere and take anywhere to get around. Super and, light. Right. So we had on the, the whitewater side, a trip 9.5, which is an imported nine and a half foot raft. And so we thought, well, let's see if we can fish this up. And so we did, and it was the perfect size for two people. It's a lit, you know, it's a, a two person lightweight boat, right? So you can't lounge in it, but certainly a rower and a fisherman can do pretty well. And then it's got this cool, which came from our, um, environmental side. It's got a, um, an inflatable lean bar. That's really stiff. Oh, structures for the government and basically imagine like a like an eight inch beam that was an inflatable tube and so we're able to use that technology uh, so it really that boat is cool and a number of reasons there was um, input from three different divisions basically that's awesome what does that boat weigh versus say your your other full similar size uh, full raft so um the striker weighs a uh, hundred pounds right at a at hundred pounds wow not with the the because you've got a kind of a frame on there right kind of no, well there's just minimal minimal frame it's basically seat bars but yeah that's the best part is it weighs 100 pounds so it's easy for two guys to manage anywhere or even one person to drag it down you know versus you know i gotta look it up and see how much are um you know so like a a 14 foot raft weighs 240 pounds yeah so over twice as much yeah, yeah. Gotcha. All right. And it is interesting to look at that front bar because I've seen that before. I've never been on the boat, but I always looked at it and thought, wow, it looks like almost like a kid's toy, right? Like it would just yeah. flop around, but that's amazing. So it's super stiff, just like a, like an NRS standing bar. Yeah. It's, it's super stiff. And what's nice is particularly sometimes with those metal bars, you know, you're always banging into it with your thighs, you know? Um, so people will put some foam up there. I mean, there's a little bit of give on it, but not much, but you just don't have sore thighs at the end of the day either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know the NRS thing definitely is great, but that was one thing I, um, the back, it's probably different now, but I was, you know, you had the back standing bar and the front standing bar. And uh, I'm trying to think of, is there a platform too with the NRS or do you guys do the stand on the floor thing? No, we do platforms with the, the fishing frames. Yeah, that yeah the, the fishing frames, that's it. Cool. Well, this is, yeah, that's awesome. The striker, I'm glad you mentioned that one. That's definitely a unique boat. Um, yeah, so it looks like we've kind of gone through a few of these, right? We got the frame list. What about, I'm just looking kind of here, kind of uh, accessories, things like that. Do you guys have, um, this is just kind of everything else that goes along with what we talked about, like um, casting. What's in those? You got a bunch of pages of accessories. What does that include? So basically, those are all the things that, that you might need to go boating. I mean, we have we have fins, you know, to kick. We have a variety of pumps. We have oar locks, oar stops um oars you know all sorts of things we do a lot of bags we don't do a great job of marketing our bags actually and it's what's cool about the bags the dry bags that we have it's all leftover material from the boats so they're really durable you know and they change colors from year to year right because we change kind of boat colors we kind of have everything that you need to go out on a day fishing to use a boat so there should be everything in there um that one might need. That's it. 
What is the getting into the longer trips? Let's say you're doing a, a multi-day middle fork of the salmon trip or something like that. You got a whatever, five days a week. What's the boat you recommend for that, the long trips? The boat that I would recommend for that would be our 136 Double D. And so it's a 13-foot boat. The 1400-1300, the Puma series is a narrow boat. And it was always, it came out of a kayak. So it's really narrow. And I think those boats are really good for weekenders. The 136 Double D has... It's only 13 feet, but it's called a diminished tube. So imagine the point in the front and the back gets smaller as it comes to the point. So that provides a lot of extra room um, for stuff, both in the front and the back. I think if I was going to buy, and just me personally, me living in Idaho, and I want one boat that I could use as a weekend-style boat and also do some overnighters, uh, the middle fork, it would be a little tight because, you know, middle fork is kind of a five-day deal. Um, you know, so you need a lot of stuff to have fun, you know, tables and chairs. But the 136 Double D is just a good all-around boat for guys who live, you know, like the the weekend warrior guy that takes maybe a, a float trip. Um, I just think it's a really good, it's not too big. Whereas, you know, a lot of those middle fork boats get a lot bigger but they're not as useful on a weekend, right? They're just, they're big. Today's episode is sponsored by Maverick Fly Fishing. They make the lightest zero nip reel in the world, which makes your rod more sensitive, casting more accurate, and you can hold your dead drifts longer without the shoulder burn. This reel is so unique, you may not even recognize it as a fly reel. I had a chance to fish the stinger reel with Jeff on his home river on the Truckee. The biggest thing that I remember is the weight. The weight really stuck out because you can't even barely tell there's a reel. It's essentially kind of like you're holding a rod all day long. I mean, it's that light. And uh, and when you're euro-niffing, that is a key. And the other big thing I remember from that day was catching uh, a fish on my first cast. Pretty cool to be down in that part of the country and, and have some great success with Jeff. Maverick keeps things simple by offering a Euronymph product line with essentials you'll need from rod, reel, fly line, and leader system. Euronymphing doesn't have to be complicated, so let Maverick Fly Fishing get you started right now. You can learn more by checking out Maverick's YouTube channel for some tips and tutorials. And you can also head over right now to wetflyswing.com maverick to check out the good stuff they have going. That's Maverick, M-A-V-R-K wetflyswing.com slash maverick to support this podcast and take a look at one of the most unique and efficient Euronymphing setups on the market. Okay, back to the show. And I think of the middle fork boat, like what is the one, yeah, I don't know if you've seen that, the big giant, what do they call those the, with the big... Uh, the Oh, the J-boats and stuff. We build some of those for people. They're huge. And basically, you know, it's like the, the outfitter, um, you know, he's got a tent for everybody that's on the trip and they got 20 people. They got a tent for everybody and they got chairs and, and coolers and all that. And they just throw all that stuff in these boats. And they both basically have these big paddles front and bow. And you have a guy or a gal and it's cool the way they go down and they, they maneuver it. Um, it's like a big barge. What is that type of boat called? It's a J-boat. J-boat. Yeah, they're really, it's crazy looking because the oars are not on the sides. They're in the front and back and they just, yeah. yeah. And it's really cool. And the men and women who navigate that river doing that are just absolutely amazing. Because it's not like it's light, right? Yeah. No, no, it's huge. And the middle fork is a very tight, 
uh, you yeah. know, technical. I'm looking at a photo now. We'll put a couple of photos of some rafts going like yard sale. And yeah. we're looking at one, it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's not an easy river to row, right? Because it's pretty technical. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly too much for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I like fishing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, well, the cool thing, I, I was lucky enough to do that quite a long time ago. And yeah, the uh, the West Slope Cuddy fishing yeah. was pretty amazing on that yeah. river. It's good. Nice. Okay, so we got a good lineup here. Um, well, what about air? Just give us a rundown on air. So they have everything else. Like if you want a boat, whitewater, whatever, they kind of that, that's where you should probably go if you're looking to dig into that. Right. Um, we do everything from river tubes to boats that are on the Grand Canyon. You know, so a river tube, like say in Boise, we have the Boise River. We have uh, like an outfitter that runs trips. So we build really high end river tubes that last a couple seasons and people buy them individually as well. And we've got inflatable kayaks, you know, um, that people use both recreationally and also mm. uh, we have rafts. We have catarafts, which are, you know, like a, it's a pontoon boat, but a big one, 15 feet long, you know, where guys will do class five, right? Whitewater and that kind of stuff. So I don't know if we're missing anything in the middle, yeah. you know, you got it all. You got all from the Grand Canyon all the way up to, yeah, all the biggest and then all the way down to the smallest because some of this stuff, you know, like we're talking about today, it could be used on a tiny, that's one of the advantages, right? Where you can't get a giant raft in a stream. I know plenty of them that, that if you can get a little boat in and hop in, you could hit some water that nobody else can get to. Exactly. Which is pretty nice. Do you see that over time? Like with the rivers, you know, everybody talks about it, right? Pressure, you know, and COVID and everything's busier. How does that look on the rivers? Do you see more and more boats where you fish, just more of these, your boats I, out there? Yeah. I, I think so. Part of that too for us is a lot of people have moved to Idaho and that was pre-COVID too as well. So, I mean, it's a desirable place to live. There's a lot of recreational things. So it's, it's busier. People from Idaho say it's busy, which it is, and it's more busy. But when you're coming from a Colorado or a Seattle or a California, it's not as busy. And, you know, it just goes to a lot of stuff is just be a reasonable human being. You know, yeah. you know don't low hole somebody. You know, if you're in a boat and, and you see somebody fishing a run, get their attention, ask, can I go behind you? You know, so much of stuff is just don't be a jerk. Just don't be. Yeah, don't be a jerk. That's the number one rule. That's the number one rule. Um, yeah, I think that's obviously that's huge. And I think sometimes maybe that's just people are new. They don't know. But I mean, I think that's part of the, the education, right? To figure out like, yeah, you can actually go. Somebody's fishing a run. Just say, hey, I'm coming through. You know, where should I go? Do you want me to go right behind you? Do you want me to, whatever. It's pretty easy to do. And and frankly, particularly in Idaho, most of the fish see boats all the time. So you may put the fish down for a bit, but we're not talking an hour. Yeah, so there's plenty of boats. What is, I want to talk just briefly about Phil, because I think that he's been somebody I've been talking to quite a bit, you know, over the years. And, you know, he's got our Littoral Zone podcast now he's doing where he's kind of the Stillwater guy. It's been a lot of fun. How did you run into Phil? What's it, give us the story there on Phil Roy. So Phil uh, predates me. So I've been without mm. since 2004. And and Phil, everybody thinks fly fishing is a huge industry. And it's just not, you know. Um, and so uh, Phil met uh, one of the owners of our company and the president of our company, Dan Allenbaugh, through a rep on a fishing trip. And, and with uh, Chan as well. And, you know, Honestly, I think it like a lot of this stuff in, in the industry, it's Phil's not a dick, you know? <laughs> exactly. He's a good guy. He is Brian Chan. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's been a good match of, you know, they were always, hey, can we can we buy a whatever from you? Because we make we make good stuff. And it was like, we'll get input from you and we'll give it. And, you know, Phil has just been, I think the best way, he has been a really good friend of Outcast for many years. And he helps us out a ton. And um, we try to help him too and, and help promote his stuff. He's just always been a proponent of our stuff. And I think it's because, and I have nothing to do with this, we make good stuff. Um, what I do assist with is we're a good company and we take care of people. You know, it's not like if somebody has a problem, they can come to us and it's rare that we can't make somebody happy. There are times that we can't and that's life. But I think Phil appreciates how we do business and we appreciate how he does business. And, you know, he's good, really good at what he does. That's right. I was trying to guess his age the other day. I haven't even asked him, but uh, it's like, I'm not quite sure what it is, but he's a little older than me. And uh, man, he's just got that. I've said this before, but he's got that energy. Like he can just go. Yes. Yes. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. What is the um, the Boise and, you know, without getting into political stuff or whatever, but like Boise versus, because we've been doing a lot of stuff on Eastern Idaho, you know, lots of the Henry's Fork, all that stuff. What is the big between Boise and that Eastern Idaho thing? Is there a big difference or is it kind of the same thing? Like people, I, I think it's the same for the most part. You know, people in Idaho tend to be very neighborly and really nice. Boise is certainly more urban than Eastern Idaho. I mean, I grew up, the, my history, I grew up here, moved away for, for 20 years and came back. When I grew up here, Boise was 80,000 people. Maybe there were 20,000 throughout the valley. I think the valley now has, I don't know, 350,000. So Boise is certainly more urban but not like a Seattle urban or, or Salt Lake. So there's that, whereas Eastern Idaho is certainly more agricultural. But I do think the core um, people are, are really nice here. I think that's it, you know, urban versus agricultural. Yeah, that's it. Oh, right. Yeah, urban versus ag- Yeah, because Boise is the kind of the biggest city in Idaho, right? It is the capital and, and everything, you know, runs through here. But Yeah, it's it. And the weather is uh, pretty awesome, both places, right? You guys get lots of lots of sunshine, right? Lots of sun. I it, it does get hot. Yeah. You know? Do you ever get tired of it? The living there in the sun. I personally don't. I like hot weather. I talk to my wife. It's a whole different thing. But I I like the warm weather. It, it I adapt to it really well. Um, so I I really like it. You know, you do have to modify your fishing, right? You know, the heat of the day, take a nap or whatever you're going to do, and and times. But yeah, I I personally like the weather. I like having. Not a lot of rain through the summers, but that's just me. And our falls are wonderful. But. Right. Nice. What's your daily, you know, your daily, weekly with, when you're with Outcast? Like, what are you doing? Like, take us behind the scenes. Like, what, what does that look like for you? So I think it's easier to break it down through quarters. So like the first quarter, January through March, is um, our trade show season. And consumer trade shows have become really important. They always have, but important where we call it butts and boats, right? That people, because our stuff is big, and it's expensive. Not every shop can always have every model is get people and we, we meet people and we get, a, you know, maybe you have a, a bigger guy or a smaller woman. Can I pick this up or will I fit in it? So that first quarter is, is kind of that sort of thing. We do a lot of traveling. We do like, oh, I don't know, five or six events. What were those events? Yeah. And, to, and real quick, Chris, because I know I met you at one a while yeah. back, but what, what are the, like this last year, what were the five or six you did? So the, the one we do, the, the fly fishing show events, which are really good. 
the ones that work best for us are uh, ones in New Jersey, uh, Denver, and Pleasanton. Those work really well for us. We do one in the Midwest, which is a really cool one. Um, it's the Michigan Midwest Fly Fishing Show. Um, I mean, they start the show with bagpipes. That's fun. Uh, we do a Boise show. And the IFTD, right? You guys go to the trade show yep. too. Yep, go to IFTD. Um, and then the second quarter is really when specialty dealers start taking their preseason orders. So now we're filling orders and we're reaching out to dealers. This is a weird year. We got a lot of water, a lot of snow. Everything's delayed a little bit. Um, it's not a big deal, but it gives us a longer season. So we'll reach out. Hey, do you still want everything you've ordered? Do you need to add? Blah, 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 blah. You know, it's all sorts of dealer support. Right. Just lots of phone, lots of phone, lots of Zoom. Lots of, are you doing in-person meetings and stuff a lot? Uh, we don't. We don't. And part of that is we're not that big of a company. I mean, there's 50 of us and probably 35 people are in production where the rest of us, like, um, you know, the, the outcast and the air sales team, there's, what is there? There's five of us, right? So we, we need people in the office, particularly now we get a lot of calls. We could do more and we'll go, we do see, we go to dealer events and stuff, um, but not a ton. Um, because we just get busy. And then from about now until about mid-August, the other both good and bad thing we have is we don't have a receptionist. So anybody who calls is going to get somebody who knows, um, and we don't have a phone tree or anything. So somebody can answer your, your call. Oh, wow. So somebody called right now. They're going to actually talk to somebody who will not only pick up the phone, but will have knowledge in, in running these boats. Correct. And so we have a, a, an Outcast line and a, and a Whitewater line. So Outcast, you might get me or Richard. Um, if the fishing guys are on the phone, one of the Whitewater guys will pick up and vice versa, right? If the, all the Whitewater people are on the phone, the fishing guys will pick up. And like I can answer most basic whitewater questions um or at least i can get the information and, and get it off to people so we get a ton of calls um because of that it's both a, like anything right it's both your your strength is your weakness we get busy with a lot of customer calls right what size anchor do i need can i stand up in my flow too from the whole gamut of crazy stuff but that's why we thrive as a company right is because we have good connection with with our customers both specialty dealers big boxes and also the consumer, you know, that maybe a dealer isn't as knowledgeable about a specific product because they don't have it or haven't had it, but we can educate the customer. They can then go to the dealer. We're really busy between now and mid August. And generally when we hire people, um, we say, you know, you're going to get a lot of opportunity to go fishing or whitewater on whitewater trips and you can take vacations, but our busy time is, you know, April through, through mid August. Mid-August, we slow down, right? It's kind of the end of the season, both for whitewater and for fishing. We start our preseason program. Uh, and so we reach out. The fishing side has more outside sales reps, so they do a lot of the, the calls, you know, going to dealers and that kind of stuff. Um, so we work with reps and also dealers through that process. Whitewater side has some outside reps, but our inside reps do a lot more work with Outfitters and stuff. Outfitters do a lot of custom boats, whether it be logos or boards in different places, whatever the, whatever it may be. And so that takes us through to about October, and then we're slow in in November, which is nice. That's right. Yeah, it is nice <laughs> to take a break. It gets painfully slow, 
but it's also the whitewater guys in particular are working really hard because we do a lot of outfitter boats on the white on the whitewater side so they're making sure logos are correct they're making sure we have the right artwork all that kind of stuff so they there's a lot of a lot of busy work for them um and then you know december's always kind of some you know some for everybody's kind of funny right it's kind of end of year you got that kind of stuff um you know international stuff generally tends to ship out because we sh you know uh sell stuff you know internationally that stuff goes out in december um and then we start the trade show season again in january there you go man that's amazing what is it throughout that whole year just in your job in general you've been there have you been there 10 years no, I've been 19. Oh, wow. That's amazing. God, that's so cool. Yeah, you're going on two decades. What is the thing? What do you love most when you look at your job throughout the year? What do you look forward to most? You know, I'm not a whitewater paddler. I'm a fisherman. I like the outdoor industry. You know, I like working in the fishing industry. I like working in the outdoor industry uh, with whitewater. Um, so I think it's the industry and then the people we meet. I also work with really good people, and I like that it's a really good place to work. It's not for everybody. You got to be kind of flexible, right? You might have to break down some boxes and take them to the dumpster. And if you're that corporate, you can't do that. It's just not a good fit for us. Right. 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 I love that. I think those are always the best. You know, you hear the stories. It seems like, you know, the stories about the CEO or whoever it is, you know, it's like, you know, you got to be able to do everything. Yes. Like if you're not up for like doing whatever, you know, then, you know what I mean? It feels like that's the best, maybe the best way to be, as opposed to like, you're too high level to do right. Some menial labor, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cool. This is good. Well, you mentioned, I just want a, a couple of things here. You mentioned um, the anchor. I'm just curious on that one. What is, you know, I know there's different size anchors. Where would somebody go if they figure out like, what do they need or what is the typical anchor? Let's just take it to that pontoon boat we talked about, the one with the two tubes. So any, like a 10 to 12 pound anchor for a single person boat is about okay. right. Okay, 10 to 12. Yeah, that's right. Not a 30 pound, which would be like a drift boat anchor. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And um, so if they're, if people are listening now and they're thinking, hey, I want to check this out. I want to get more information, maybe buy a boat. Do you have like a dealer network a link on your website? We do. Yes. So people can just go to the dealers and then they what type in their location and then boom, it pops in whoever's closest. Do you guys have, I mean, how does that look? Do you, do you feel like, because I know with fly fishing, you've got areas that are hot spots for fly fishing. Do you guys try to get around to like every state or do you just, or how does that look? You know, we have, I mean, honestly, states like the West where there's good boating fishing. Someone like Oklahoma, we just don't, you know, like Texas, we've had some dealers and we're just, not, not as much. Yeah. And I just looked at, I just searched New York just because we just did an episode in New York. And yeah, I mean, two pop up, right? Tight Lines and River Bay yep. Outfitters, two places in Baldwin and in uh, Parsippany, right? New York. How connected are you to all of these? Because I mean, it's popped up two in New York. Do you know all these uh, dealers? I talk to a lot of them, like, you know, I mean, and sometimes it's just so happens that, you know, like Richard, who I work with, he has a better connection with somebody and I don't talk to them very often. Um, I generally have probably interacted with everybody, particularly over almost the last 20 years. Cool. Right on. And I'm just looking, I was just looking at your website again. You've got, I just noticed you have a pontoon boat as well that has that foam bar up front. Which one is that? You know what I'm talking about? What color is it? The boat's green. It's on your website on the dealer at the bottom of the dealer page. On the left is the normal 13-foot uh, with the NRS frame. So maybe, is it the striker? Because the only one that I, and, and maybe uh, I just haven't had enough coffee. The only yeah, yeah. One it's a pontoon boat. It's a pontoon boat. Yeah, it's a pontoon boat with a inflatable, um, 
yeah, kind of the same thing as that striker. It's got an inflatable, but um, yeah, something. I didn't see that in your product line, so I'm just curious, limited stock. Yeah, anyways, that's something to... I'll have, I'll have to look. Yeah, take a take a look at that. Um, you need another cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Hey, I was gonna. Uh, that's gonna. Be, glad you said it because I was gonna start our our coffee talk segment to break it yeah. out of here. This one is presented by Angler's Coffee, which is awesome oh. coffee and oh cool. We love the Angler's guys. So let's just start off. This is gonna take us a few minutes. We'll wrap it out of here. What's your coffee? What is your choice? So it sounds like you're a coffee drinker. Do you have? I'm a, I'm a coffee guy, you know, and I'm a coffee snob. I lived in Seattle for a long. Oh, you did. So I am a, a, a black coffee kind of guy, and like Seattle's best. And the reason being, it's always on sale. Yeah, I was gonna say, what is the difference? Because yeah, I think like Starbucks, Seattle's best. Like they all are pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm not up at that level, but do, do you find that they're all pretty good? They're all pretty good. Yeah, and I'm I'm a coffee snob, and I I like making my own coffee. I just got a, like a drip coffee maker. I just I know what I like. Yeah. Well, if you haven't checked out, give a give a plug here for anglers. Joe is has great coffee, and he's, I will do it. Yeah, he's yeah. he's got some good stuff going. So, give us the you know in this segment, we're just going to take some quick ones out of here. And you you checked off a few of these. You know, your one boat. Um, we didn't talk a ton about fly fishing. I'm just curious. Like, it sounds like trout is your thing. What mm-hmm. species? Do you just whatever trout? Do you do everything? I do about everything. You know, I was thinking about this podcast. And, um, I'm really lucky where I live. Because I, I like trout fishing, and this time of the year, it's still water because it's the only thing that, that we can do. And, and we've got good still water fishing within a couple hours. As it gets hot and the rivers come down, you know, I've got the Owyhee River in Oregon. I've got the South Fork of the Boise, which is really good. The Owyhee is, you know, west. South Fork is, is east, about the same distance. That's awesome. I can go to the Sun Valley catchment area which we like to go to, to, to hike. Um, there's Silver Creek there. We've got the Wood River. I like to do wow. up lakes there. So that's really nice. We generally take like an overnight trip on the South Fork of the Snake near Idaho Falls. And I'm like, you know, I don't go anywhere to go fishing. No. But I don't have to. You don't. Yeah, you guys have it. You got the weather. You got the yeah. great fishing. You know, it's a pretty cool place and it's, and it seems like it's still, even though it's getting busier, you're still, you know, it's still um, not huge, right? There's still, Correct. yeah, which is nice. Okay. Just a couple other random ones and we'll take it out of here. Your, your rod, I guess that's uh, kind of thinking about that. Like, I guess if it's lakes, it's probably like Phil, what would he recommend? Like a 10 foot, right? His steel water rod, something like that, a 10 foot. Yeah. You know, I am, and this is, this is, I'm probably like the worst consumer in the fly fishing industry because I have... Um, and this is crazy. When I worked for the Yellowstone Angler 40 years ago, George Anderson gave me a hardy lightweight reel. I still use it today. I'm just not a gear guy. And so Phil would make fun of me. And also back then I could afford to buy one rod. Fished a lot of spring creeks and other stuff. So I fished, I got a six weight, right? That's it. I use six weight rod for everything. And Phil makes fun of me. Oh, you can do so much better. And, I, and he's right, you know, you're a rod, but it's just kind of one of those. I like what I like. Yeah. I love that. And that adds, actually answers the question because if you had to pick one rod, we always talk about that. Okay. Nine foot, five weight, nine foot, six weight, or are you more of a four weight, six weight, right? The evens versus the odds. But yeah, the six weight is such a great rod because, you know, get a little bit of wind. It works pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good for a little bit bigger fish, right? So it seems like the six weight is my all around rod too. If I yeah. had to pick nine versus four. Yeah don't want to go like some you know how some guys are they want to take nine rods with them it's like i don't want to do that that's right 
But if you had to, I'm sure you guys have uh, rod holders and things like that set up on these boats we talked about. Yeah, we've got all that that kind of stuff. So still for fishing, I'll usually take you know sinking a rod with sinking line and and, and yeah. one with. Well, take it out of here. And the last one here is on podcasting and or music. Do you listen to podcast or music? Uh, anything? What What do you listen to more of? So I'm of all. I'm not really a music guy. I like podcasts. One that I listen to a ton of is a thing called Smartless. And then I like um, the rewatchables, and it's old you know movies that we've seen years ago, and they rewatch them. Oh, and they talk about them. Yeah, it's really fun. And you know, I'm an older guy, you know, so it's fun to to hear from movies like my high school years in the eighties, you know, like the original Top Gun. Oh, the Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. you see, this is pretty dorky because, but I, we did watch Top Gun Maverick because actually, you know, who recommended it was uh, Jeff Brady from Mystic yeah. Outdoors. He recommended, he was like, Hey, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And we watched it. And it's just so funny because Tom Cruise is like, he's like epic. He's this guy. It's like, he's got all these things going on and some people hate him, but it's kind of funny. Have you seen Top Gun Maverick? Oh yeah, I've seen it like three times. Okay, so yeah, you like it. It's a good flick, right? Yeah, it's awesome. It's fun. And I saw the original one when it came out as a young person. And it, and it was just a good nod to some of the key things that were in this one, but it was a new movie. And and Tom Cruise is awesome. I mean, you can... I know. He's a goofball, but man, he's successful. How can you... You can't argue with that. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I know he's fun to watch. And uh, cool, good deal. Well, I'm glad we left on, off on that. And I picked up a new, um, uh, the watch, Rewatchables, a new Rewatch. podcast to check out. So we, we got everybody can add that to their queue. Are you listening on Spotify, Pod, Apple? What is your listening app? On On Apple. Yeah, Apple. Perfect. Cool, Chris. Well, I think uh, I feel pretty good about this, um, where we've been here. We know what you have going in the next year with everything. Um, I guess we'll just send everybody out, like I said, outcast boats. And if people are listening now, would you, could they give you a call? We mentioned that. I guess there's a number at the bottom of your website, the 100 number they can just call if they have questions. Yeah, call us anytime in the number is 800-966-0976. Okay. We're going to do a test here and see how many people we can send your way who are listening now to the very end of this episode. If they're interested in a boat, we'll see if we can give you some calls and check in with some of our listeners, uh, you know, this week. And uh, cool, man. Well, until we uh, talk again, I'm sure we'll be in touch on things. Thanks for all your time today and putting together the good stuff with the boats. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. There it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 466, 466. Check it out. You get a look at some of these boats. The Striker. Take a look at the Striker, the frameless boat. It's 100 pounds. Take a look at their lineup uh, from small to big and everything in between. Shout out to Instagram. Right now, if you're on social on Instagram, head over to at wetflyswing right now and you can follow us and get a chance to uh, ask a question for an upcoming guest. We're doing this as the way we've come up with to help uh, give you a chance to ask some of those questions. I know I've been connecting with uh, a lot of people on email, so keep that coming, but also Instagram right now. Quick listener shout out before we get out of here. Eric Whittler. Eric says, hey, Dave, love the podcast. I recently relocated back to Colorado from Minnesota. I love fly fishing for steelhead and salmon, trout, and dabble in the warm water species as well. I'm lucky to now live within a short drive of world-class fly fishing on the South Platte and other cold water fisheries in the Rocky Mountain West. It's been a hot minute since I fished the PNW, but I'm hoping for a trip uh, up your way for some summer run fish. Now that my daughter attends U of O, I think I might have an opportunity to fish out there a little more. Thanks for all you do. Eric, thanks for uh, that big, amazing email. I appreciate you for checking in and letting us know you're listening to the podcast. And, uh, and we're putting out some stuff that's working for you. 
Uh, if you are listening right now and you want to get a shout out on this episode, the easiest way is to send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com. Or like I said, Instagram, you can check in, DM me anytime there and uh, and we'll get uh, we'll get you on for a shout out and maybe even get a question for an upcoming guest. All right, let's roll around out of here. Let's hit on to the next one. Roll them up, roll them out. Let's do this. We're in the Mountain West. We're on a cattle ranch and we're, uh, we're wrangling up uh, the cattle. We got a couple that are just bombing out there. They're they're flying, and and I'm on my horse, and I'm full speed trotting to circle that thing off before it uh, gets to the river, and uh, and that's what we are doing right now. We're we're kind of coming up to that river, circling around, and we're catching up to that cow, bringing it back into the pack, and uh, and as we turn the corner, we take a look back behind us, and now what's ahead? We see a beautiful sky. It's getting late. It's getting towards the evening now. And, uh, and we're enjoying that sunset. And that's kind of where we are right now with this podcast. Wrapping it up and, uh, and getting ready to head in for the evening. We'll be back here again tomorrow. So as always, stay tuned. We're rolling these things out here. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast as of late. And I uh, would love to connect with you on a trip. If you get a chance, wetflyswing.com slash school. Anytime you can find out which school we are working on as we speak. And if not, connect with me on Instagram or by email. All right. I hope you are having a great afternoon, great evening, or great morning wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for sticking in today all the way to the very end. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.